Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Starting from 30 years ago, they have seen all kinds of roller coasters. So generally, they need to see something really impressive. More from Marco Bagotti later as we discuss the future of roller coasters and, of course, their place in the United Kingdom's theme park scene. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And joining me this week, back from the dead, or a vacation or a holiday, whichever terminology you prefer, Mr. Ian Morris. Hello. Um, I don't think I had a holiday. I think I might have had some... uh, You you were on holiday, so I sort of had to take holiday. Yes, at least one the, of those weeks. Well, I'm very, I'm very glad to have my regular co-host back um, later on after we get through our small news section and our feature about roller coasters. We're also then going to have a bit of a mini rant, a little bit of a discussion about 3D cinema, and I would like to pose the question to Ian that it's a scam. But first, let's get on with the news. Music industry organisations, this is according to The Guardian, have won a high court battle over measures introduced by the government allowing people to lawfully copy CDs and other copyrighted material bought for their own private use. Now, this was a law that was enacted a couple of years ago that took many years to get into place that basically said if you buy a CD lawfully and you make a copy for your uh, transferring onto an iPod, let's say, then that should be legal. Because although you were technically making a, uh, a copy, you were permitted by fair use, private use, you know, common sense, basically. Well, a judge um, has ruled that a government erred in law when it decided not to introduce a compensation scheme for songwriters, musicians, and other rights holders. Basically, the judge has now agreed that while maybe making this copy should be permitted, the rights holders should be compensated. Um, This was was a situation, I believe, with blank CDs when they came out, is that blank music CDs cost more to produce because there was almost a royalty scheme on the blank CDs that went towards the music industry to compensate for the loss of sales. Now, this is ridiculous in a sense because it's common sense to be allowed to make this law in the first place. Would you agree, Ian? And feel free not to, obviously. No, I completely agree. And the compensation scheme, what are they being compensated for? I'm just curious at this point, what is the what is the compensation here for? Because they've made the purchase... By buying the compact disc mm, thing, they're not being compensated for anything. This whole thing's stupid. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I, if they don't want me to rip CDs, well, I don't care. They can take people to court for it, can't they? Look how stupid they'll look. Oh, you bought a CD and then you wanted to put a copy of it on something that wasn't a disc. Um, well, then you know, to jail with you, foul pirate. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to enforce this. And this nigh on impossible. And to whom is the compensation paid and how and how is it broken down? How are you how are you tracking 
that a copy has been made. I mean, how does that even happen? It's not like the CD ripping tools are reporting back to a, an agency saying this has been permitted. So what? So what? This has been. This has occurred. So what happens? Do we add more money onto the price of compact discs? Makes them even less appealing? No, no, no. Uh, here's what happens: nothing. Nothing will happen. This is basically just lawyers keeping themselves busy and paid, whilst the music industry, for some reason, is prepared to finance that um, at a cost way beyond anything they'll ever get back in compensation for any of this stuff. They're just wasting their own money. They're doing, you know, they're saying, "Oh, piracy costs us hundreds of millions of." you know, pounds a year. Well, stop paying lawyers, then it wouldn't cost you anything, would it? Because you could just let it go. Because, you know, it's it, there's no point pirating music anymore, really, for the most part, is there? It's well, so easy to pay £10 a month. Yes. I mean, I, I speak as somebody who still buys CDs, and I'm not going to go over reasons again why. Well, I buy, it's okay I, to buy CDs. I don't CDs. have a problem with it. I just, you know, it's entirely up to people. But for people like me, who as a rule don't buy CDs, uh, my £10 a month subscription to Google Play is is everything I need, pretty much. Yes. So, I mean, this isn't just covering CDs, you should probably point out. I mean, this is this is covering all copies of digital material. So this includes putting a, a you know, ripping a DVD or a, or a Blu-ray onto another onto another device if you want to well, if you want ripping, to if you want to rip your DVDs, dvds and put them onto a media center this this still yeah. accounts this still accounts this is saying this is saying if you rip a dvd then the, the copyright holder or whoever benefits from these supposed um payments deserve an additional payment to you because you have format shifted your digital content it's a losing battle and i think that you know to play to slightly play devil's advocate i can understand that a at the end of the day if you're employed to be an undertaker you shouldn't complain that you have to dig a lot of graves and no if you work at one of these music bodies and your job is to do everything in your power in order to uh, protect what you're there to protect then common sense be damned you're gonna have to do something because otherwise your job is at risk and this is where it falls foul in my head as a devil's advocacy policy is that it just feels like somebody is doing this so they can be seen to be doing it and therefore justify their own existence yeah quite because i don't know who benefits from this like i literally do not know absolutely no idea i want to find a band in the street that thinks this is a good a good idea. Like uh, Taylor Swift this weekend, there was a blog on Tumblr, and she she I completely agree with her views about the Apple three month trial for its Apple Music service. The fact that they're not paying anybody for any song streamed during a three month trial period is affecting small up and coming artists for those three months far more than her. And you know she can make a stand for that. And I think fair enough. I I do think it's wrong to stream any content and not pay anybody for it. Um, somebody may benefit well, from that. Well, not if they've agreed to it. Well, no, but I, I wonder how many of them have been asked. But- well, the labels would have been asked. You've mm. got to remember, Nate, that the labels are the problem. You know, there's the, 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 the public wants to listen to music produced by musicians, and the musicians want the public to listen to their music because that's, you know, a lot of what being a musician is about. You know, you want people to hear what you're, you're doing, right? Because yeah. it's artistic, and that's the point. Um, 
Uh, but um, what happens in the middle, unfortunately, is a bunch of people in suits who get paid for doing pretty much nothing. Um, and that's where the problem is. If we just got rid of all the labels and uh, just dealt directly with the artists, I mean, I know that's not necessarily practical, although it becomes more no. so. Now, now, the thing is, labels... I will stand up for labels to a certain extent because labels are a good thing. Labels make a lot of things happen. Like there's and there's also a huge difference between talking about the mega giant conglomerates of the world if if you want to, the major labels and smaller indie labels. And a lot of major labels own a lot of smaller independent labels. And I don't even think that labels by their definition of being a record label is is the problem. I think the problem is is on a more is on a more microscopic level which is that it generally only benefits the larger uh, players in, in the battle. A lot of these arguments tend to be just around protecting larger bands or larger labels or larger um, larger pots of money. And I don't fundamentally think that if I was in power or if I was in charge in a label, I, I wouldn't be doing everything I could to try and and keep as much money as possible because at the end of the day it's a disruptive industry and if you're sailing in choppy seas you really want to limit the amount of water you're taking on board i think it's yeah a, but you see the thing is diff- that what you've 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 made a mistake it only in that you're right about the protect, protection of revenue but what the music industry has tended to do is to see a new technology on the horizon and do nothing but panic about it like you know napster comes along and suddenly the music industry's like well this is a head scratcher people can get free music um and of course they prefer free music to paying for music but at no point in the sort of 10 years that napster reigned the seas did uh, a music industry go oh we could just do this like we could have our own like music industry napster that was like you know you paid um and it was the same deal you got the mp3s um instead they went through years of crappy copy protection and shitty services that were you know split uh, just you know like windows media i mean how many songs were lost when windows media servers shut down it used to happen all the time i've got music that i got from somewhere or other you know that that i can no longer play that i paid for because the windows media server to support it no longer exists yeah you know years of this and they could have just done mp3s from the start and it took apple to come along and go hey you know what guys enough no more copy protection it's stupid it doesn't work um, and people will find the music anyway. And there we go. And then after all that, all that messing around, probably billions of dollars wasted on lawyers, on pursuing people, on just wasting money. And then they realise, oh, yeah, actually, you know, if we give people nice, easy access to music, they won't steal it anymore. And we could have told them that at the start. It would be a wonderful, wonderful uh, business utopia if it was as simple as all that. I, I do think that, that you know, I, I don't imagine there are many people in the music industry that think the way that the industry collectively handled Napster, the onset of digital music, DRM and all these sorts of things. I don't believe any of them genuinely think that it was handled well. It probably could have been handled worse, not much worse. But it could have been handled worse, or they could have stemmed the flow. Of <laughs> I'm it. trying to think. I'm trying to think how. Are they going well, to shot all the artists to protect the revenue? Or are we going to shoot them all? Saying no to Apple at all, trying to do well, it themselves. The one thing that what what Apple did is that it at least unified the labels under the under this 
this umbrella this this umbrella and not you know they could have tried to set up their own and just tried to make you buy direct from each individual label and well, that wouldn't necessarily have been a bad thing i mean i i can understand why you know the centralized model of apple is very nice it wouldn't have but... had this social uh, and economic clout that doing it under the brand of apple all in one place where it suddenly makes sense to people and to businesses i don't think it would have had the same impact if they'd have gone it on their own Mm. No, I mean, of course, I do agree with you. The fact is that the news that we are actually discussing is that a law enacted late, but ultimately out of the uh, speaking of common public sense, has now been hamstrung by a ridiculous move that only exists to protect the job of lawyers from what i can tell and not musicians and not labels and certainly not the people who need it most who are the people who aren't already benefiting from their music being known but those who are desperately trying because i bet you anything they are not seeing this article and thinking good move that that's going to help me get noticed and be the next taylor swift brilliant anyway let us know your opinions podcast at natelangson.com. We haven't had many things, emails, that's the word I'm looking for, for a, for a, a couple of weeks because uh, we haven't asked for any. And we've been doing features instead of news. So now's the time to send those emails and get them in. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, we will be back with Mr. Ian Morris in about 10 minutes' time where we're going to talk about 3D cinema and whether or not it's a scam. Apparently, we're on a little bit of a tirade today against anti-consumer practices in the creative industries. That wasn't the intention, but it is the result. Make of that what you will. But before we get to that, we are going to take another roller coaster ride. This one quite literally, through the roller coaster design and building process. Where are roller coasters going? I met up, via Skype that is, with a gentleman called Marco Bagotti. Now, Marco is a roller coaster engineer, and in some form, he has worked for close to three decades on developing roller coasters for theme parks around the world. A native Italian, it was too good an opportunity to miss when I heard Marco was visiting the UK for a conference being held where else? but Alton Towers. I wanted to find out what makes a good roller coaster in 2015. What kinds of technology are affecting European roller coaster design or theme park designs for that matter? And how are new designs being commissioned, being built and being tested? So I started by asking Marco just that. How does a park go from having space for a new coaster to having one ready to ride? Uh, I work for Many people around the world saw the, the approach of Alton Tower is completely different from the approach of the people that come from, for example, Saudi Arabia. So the culture is completely different, but mainly uh, they, they provide to me the area where they want to install the roller coaster. For um, Alton Tower, company like Alton Tower, normally they have a um, land uh, with hill or with tree or different kind of uh, natural uh, constraint. Uh, and in uh, normally in area like South, uh, sorry, Middle East, they live in the shopping mall. So I receive a plan of the shopping mall where they want to install the ride. So I provide to them the first idea, the first 3D model, 
And sometimes for big group, I provide also the main, the first simulation of the ride. So they can see how, how the ride can work inside their environment. So this is the first step. So what makes a good roller coaster? Better still, how could a theme park in the UK lay claim to having the best roller coaster? The best roller coaster is a roller coaster that is able to uh, pick or uh, catch what is the emotion of the people in that area. So if I want a family roller coaster, what I need to provide is a roller coaster very smooth with speed, but not so high acceleration because my target is family, father, mother, and child. Or in the, on the opposite, if the client wants a really strong roller coaster, I need to provide very fast, high acceleration, emotion, uh, thrill, etc. So there isn't a real one coaster. Okay, no one roller coaster can be objectively considered best. But what technology has been changing to allow new exciting ideas to become reality within theme parks? I believe that the big, the big step was done uh, more or less 10 years ago when we passed from uh, the gravity roller coaster, so the the, the train go to the top of the hill, and from that point, uh, it ran till the end by gravity. And the big, the big jump was made by using linear induction motor. So the car are accelerated by a sort of electrical motor, and this kind of motor came from the U.S. Navy. Maybe one of the way never uh, discovered is to use uh, some kind of interaction between people and um, rides. I have seen some study related to uh, virtual reality. So use some kind of helmet and use real emotion in new, uh, new world. Or, for example, try to have some kind of gun uh, and the people can shoot during the trip. Wait, hang on. Guns? He meant laser guns, right? Yeah, right. Ah, good. Is is better is better the laser gun because it's in, in the reality and so you can shoot with other people that are on ground and so interact with, with these guys. Are we really ready for interactive roller coaster experiences in the UK? Uh, starting from 30 years ago, they have seen all kinds of roller coasters. So generally, they need to see something really impressive. What about in other parts of the world? The culture in Saudi Arabia, for example, is completely different. They start from zero. They start from only park inside a shopping mall. So huge ride must become small ride, quite impressive ride, but in, in the shopping mall is quite different and the culture is different. So I, I need to understand what is the, the, um, the public at the end. So anyway, it's different. Anyway, it's different because it's different the culture of the people and what they expect.
We're talking roller coasters and guns. Sounds super safe. In the UK, we are well known for having rather strict health and safety rules as a nation. For example, in one roundup of questionable exploitations made by regulatory powers, dodgem cars were proposed to be banned from bumping into each other at Butlins holiday parks. And a school in the northwest of England has banned leather footballs. Now, don't worry, parents. The primary school in question would permit the playing of football, but only if the balls were made from sponge. Now, in a world of 250 kilometer per hour roller coasters and maybe laser guns, how do designers like Marco, working for theme parks in so many countries, maintain a high level of safety in their products? There is many different levels. First level is related to the people, safe people. I mean, when they when they uh, run on the roller coaster, must be must be feel safe, and the acceleration must be inside the European norms. And so I need to, during the design, I need to check all kind of acceleration on the body. Second one is during the design field, we need all my team and the team with I work with uh, make a risk assessment related to all kind of possibility of some problem, some default of the ride. So normally what we do is design plus risk assessment on the ride. At the end, when the, when the ride is being built or installed, there is another risk assessment on the installed ride in a way that we are sure that we have taken into account any kind of possibility of mistake or problem that can happen. Also, normally there is some inspection body that we use that help us to avoid other kind of misunderstanding problem. I have to send so I, I must be sure that when the ride or all the other design and design some some ride, my son is safe. Unlike what I recently learned from watching Jurassic World, where bigger, scarier dinosaurs with more teeth were essential for future business, I was learning from Marco that a good new roller coaster does not fundamentally need to be larger, faster, or dye your trousers one of many exciting shades of brown. They need to know their audience and provide a range of carefully tailored experiences. I believe that there is in every park there is, it must be a mix between huge, impressive, and but and thrilling rides, and family and really suitable for everyone ride. For example, some parks in Italy or Europe, they are started with a roller coaster ride for all the people or public. So I mean for the family. Also today they are coming back again to think about family interactive ride, uh, simulator, other kind of entertainment. Because when, when, when I go to amusement, amusement park, I need to see everything, not, not only the ex, um, extreme ride. So I believe that it's very important to have a good design, good master plan designer able to mix all the information regarding the people. I was coming to the end of my time with Marco and I had one final question I wanted to draw from him. I knew I wasn't going to get the answer easily based on the conversation thus far. In fact, when I asked him what he thinks is the best roller coaster in the world, he asked me, What is the best car in the world? What is the best car in the world? I quickly thought back to a recent episode of Top Gear I was watching in bed and picked the McLaren P1. I should probably have plumped for a Ferrari. McLaren P1. So you have an idea, your idea. 
But anyway, there isn't a real best uh, car. For my personal point of view, the beautiful roller coaster that I have run, it was the Incredible Hulk in uh, Universal Orlando. It's a new Universal Orlando. It's a really beautiful roller coaster in a in really beautiful park. And I tell you why. I personally, uh, I like roller coaster, but not really extreme. Because at the end of the, uh, of the lap, when I arrive, if the roller coaster is, is too extreme, I don't feel the pleasure of the, a good ride. The Incredible Hulk is one kilometer long. It, the car is launched in a really strange way because it's launched on the top of the hill. So you don't feel you are in the tunnel on, uh, when, when you go on the top of the, uh, of the hill, but you are pushed really fast in the middle of the track without a really high acceleration. And you have a really long, beautiful track all around this lake, uh, all around this, uh, this really incredible amusement park. I want, I want to enjoy, at the end, what, what I tell you, what I want to tell you is, at the end of the, 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 the lap, I want to enjoy, not to be shaken from one side to the other side. That was Marco Bigotti, owner of Ride Tech Engineering, speaking to me from the ANSYS Convergence Conference at Alton Towers. Not everyone in the world is as beautiful as you, dear listener, and not everyone knows how to download a podcast. That's why I'm encouraging you to bring someone you know into the podcasting world by telling them about this show and which app you use to listen to it. You'll be helping not only me and text message, but all podcasters who often need word of mouth more than money to help promote their work. Thanks for listening, and hopefully, thanks for the review and the help spreading the word. Or if you want to be on the show, send your comments about this episode or any other tech topic. Podcast at natelangson.com. Well, it's time to put some bait on my hook, wiggle it around in some water. And what's this? Yes, I've caught myself and Ian Morris dragging him back onto the beach. Ian Thanks for sticking with me. <laughs> like a like a you know a whale stuffed onto the beach, unable to escape. A beached whale flipping side to side in a uh, fury about the state of the modern creative industry. Well, flap away, sir, for the next five minutes because we've got one more topic to talk about, and this stems from a problem I had the other day. Here's the problem: I wanted to see Jurassic World. It's a real problem because it costs sixteen quid per ticket to go and see. Uh, a film at my nearby cinema here in London. £16. You can almost have someone killed for that, I've heard. Um, so uh, my company sent around an email um, last week saying that we had some perk system that got us 50-something percent off cinema tickets. And I thought, opportunity. It's only going to cost me about eight quid a ticket to go and see Jurassic World. This is an opportunity I cannot pass up. It is not to be sneezed at, 50% cinema tickets. So I bought 
three for my girlfriend Kate and my brother. And off we went. And I bought the 3D one, incidentally. This is key. I bought the 3D one because the ticket to see 3D should have been a couple of quid more than the 2D version. And I thought, well, with a 55% discount, that's less than a pound to see it in 3D. Curiosity's at least worth 95 pence. <laughs> you know. So I, uh, I thought, fine, I'll pay the little bit extra for the 3D version. I'll go and see what 3D is looking like in cinema today. I haven't seen a 3D film since Avatar. Turns out the 3D is quite good. Like It didn't take anything away from the film, so that's already a plus. And it did add a, a, an interesting extra dimension. Didn't really push forward storytelling in any way, but it was visually quite nice, so fair dues. But the problem occurred before I got into the cinema because I walked in and I got into the area where the films are shown with a big television at the front of the room and realized that being in 3D, I needed some glasses. Why do we not have any glasses? There weren't any glasses around. Obviously, there wasn't any staff to ask because it was in a dark room. So I went back out to the foyer to where they sell the overpriced hot dogs and um, things and asked somebody how I watch in 3D. And they said, I have to pay for the glasses extra. And I said, don't I pay extra for that by paying more to see the film in the first place in 3D? And she said, no, you have to buy, you have to pay for the glasses extra. So it's an extra quid per ticket. The film is the same. It's the same film and it already costs more. I mean, in my head, I assumed paying more to see it in 3D would at least mean you got the tool you need to see the damn film in 3D. Otherwise, it felt to me like going into a restaurant, ordering a dinner, and then being charged 50 pence each for a knife and a fork, or 2p for some salt, or a pound of flush. I mean, it's just... I mean, it just came across to me as a giant scam. Well, I mean... Ridiculous. Should we break it down? I mean, I I, I know that there's a lot of expenses that go along with um, the change to uh, being able to project 3D. But um, one has to sort of question whether or not those those expenses are still going on. I mean, don't forget, you know, when they when they switched over to 3D projection, that did often require a new projector and a new screen. Um, no problem. Don't have a problem yeah, with paying more. Sure. I, I genuinely don't. The ticket cost more. Yeah. And and I'm I'm I am happy with that because I agree it is expensive. They're running twice the number of films in that sense because they're projecting the same film in two areas. I agree. I don't mind that it costs a little bit extra. Okay, and then but then we've got to break down the fact that you were paying um, a pound for some glasses. Now that is objectionable, and I'll tell you why. Because they only cost ten p to make, if that. Um, so that is really. I mean, it is just atrocious, really, isn't it? You're. It's a. It is a scam. It is. So I was sitting there in my seat, furious, you know, watching 30 minutes of ads, um, <laughs> hearing it. There was a child not far away playing Lady Gaga out of its headphones. Ridiculous. But So I tweeted at the cinema in question. I don't want to name and shame because I believe this is fairly standard practice. It so is. I'm removing the cinema name um, out, of the, out of the equation here because there's nothing fundamentally worse about this cinema than any other, I'm sure. I asked, why do I have to pay for 3D glasses when already paying more to see a 3D film, which is the same film as it is in 2D? Their answer, very quickly, in fact, and very politely over three tweets, was, Hi, Nate. Customers started paying for 3D glasses a few months ago. This was introduced so that we could reduce the cost in 3D performances and allow customers to save each visit by allowing them to purchase glasses once and use them again in future. However, 3D will always be slightly more than 2D because 3D requires additional technologies. Now, here, I, I, I kind of get the logic here. 
I sort of get their logic that if you were buying the glasses and keeping them and coming back to a cinema and using them again, you don't have to pay the extra pound. And yeah. maybe not doing that means they can reduce one pound off the cinema ticket, thus better value for customers. Yeah, but I bet they haven't. I bet I bet the prices. When was the last time the cost of anything went down? Like you, you go to the cinema and you one week it's ten pounds and the next week it's eleven pounds. But I bet you've never been to the cinema and it, one week it was eleven pounds and the next it was ten pounds. Nothing ever goes down. So that's just a scam, isn't it? They're, they're, they're saying one thing, and actually that's just that's not true. I'm, I'm slightly concerned that I've managed to turn the tables on myself here, and I seem to be the one defending. <laughs> and I was sort of anticipating you would be the advocate of Mr. Devil and coming out in favour of what they did. But I mean, I probably could do if you really wanted me to, but I see it as much as much of a scam as you do. It, you know, it, 3D is rubbish. Like, I mean, I can see. I, I, was there were there two D screenings available? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, some films in in the past, like uh, I believe that the Ju- Dread, the Judge Dread film, um, actually they didn't show it in two D, uh, which apparently is a lot of the reason that it didn't do very well cinematically. It's an absolutely fantastic film, um, but they wanted to force people to go and see it in three D and. I mean, no one wants to be forced to see anything in any format, do they? Certainly not um, Judge you Dredd. Want to be forced to, well, you wouldn't want to be forced to see a film in IMAX if you weren't interested, would you? I mean, IMAX is quite an intimidating uh, process. Um, I, under, if, I understand if, IMAX don't charge you for the glasses. Somebody on Twitter, I had many replies, probably two dozen replies to this tweet that I made about, well, several tweets that I made in, in rage about all this while I was waiting for the damn film to start. And apparently IMAX don't charge for the glasses. Yeah, but you are paying quite a lot more for an IMAX presentation, I think. I think that the the, the issue is that as somebody who took a chance on cinema, like I almost give them the benefit of the doubt on the day that I had a discount on the ticket. So, and again, it's not because I don't feel I can afford the full price. It's just that I'm indignant as a consumer to be charged it because I don't feel the experience is worth £16 per person to see those films in those cinemas. Some of the everyman cinemas are, are, are lovely. The smaller independent ones, they don't get the same size screens or the same films, but they're very lovely. And that is an experience I don't mind paying extra for, but I don't want to pay £16 to sit next to a stain. You know, I had to pick between two stained seats and, you know, one of them was a brown stain and one of them was a white stain. Neither of them were appealing stains is the problem. No, it, it sounds horrible. And and to be charged a pound extra, I, I felt scammed and I felt the other word that I was thinking of. Um, just just tricked. Exploited. By the whole thing. Yeah. So I wanted to put it into the show because I wanted to hear your feedback and I wanted to hear listener feedback as well because... I can sort of see this from two angles and I'm not 100% which side of this fence I, I sit on because on the their, their argument, their, their PR who replied to this tweet, you know, did their job very well. They gave me a reason that I can technically believe. The problem is, is that it wasn't quite strong enough to... to to suppress the, the the feeling of being cheated and i just didn't like having paid money to go and sit and feel put me basically in a bad mood for half an hour doing this it just felt well it felt wrong here's the solution then why don't they offer people the opportunity to either buy the glasses and keep them for future screenings if they're regular 3d viewers and if not why can't we just borrow a pair like you know i don't know give them a quid deposit and then you get the quid back when you drop the glasses off that really essentially is all they need isn't it that that would keep you happy i mean given that people seem prepared to pay a little bit extra for a 3d presentation then it stands to reason that you know you could probably get the 
to just give a quid and then get it back. And then perhaps some people won't give a quid or, or you know, perhaps won't want their quid yeah. back and they'll they'll go. It, it just, I know it's a small amount of money in comparison with the £16 you've already spent or the £8 in your case. But, you know, I mean, I, I, it, it, like you say, it's the straw that broke the camel's back, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very weak camel. And also, I... I just, I, I still think their argument about it, you know, costing more to project a 3D film might have been true when they put the equipment in. And they may still be paying for the equipment, who knows? Yeah. But 3D is not the only thing that benefits from that equipment. Like the move to digital cinema was a huge one and actually um, will stand to, ch- co- you know, save them a lot of money because it is extremely expensive and difficult to um, move film reels around, which they no longer have to do. And what also that means is that they no longer have to employ projectionists. Um, which is a terrible thing. And if you listen to Mark Kermode, he'll explain in detail why. But what you get now is someone lines up the projector, they check it at the start of the day, probably. And then one person probably runs every screen in that theatre, in that you know complex. Um, so they've saved themselves a massive amount of money from moving from film projection to digital. So they can eat it, basically. They're, they're just full of it. That they can say that they've invested in equipment, but ultimately they had to invest in that equipment to keep going, you know, to keep you know, to cut, cut their costs and to bring film into a, the, the modern era because you, you need, th- you know, you need digital production to do a lot of stuff and that's going to be increasingly true. Mm. Well, it's been really interesting to talk about it. Um, it's not felt like the most balanced discussion because we both seem to to agree here, but I but I, I feel that there must be a better solution here. Like I, I don't feel that the way this is going could be sustainable because the ticket prices are getting so extortionately expensive that even though I quite like to see more films I'm I feel indignant at the cost of 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 having to go somewhere and pay that to see that film and I get the bonus of feeling cheated once I give them the benefit of the doubt I don't like that I would like to see more films why why are they doing this to me Ian I just it's so bad so I don't know Nate let us get a projector at home just do it yourself it's a lot better let us know your thoughts podcast at natelangson.com we will of course read any emails that we get on this topic podcast at natelangson.com that will do for this week mr ian morris been a pleasure sir smashing same and don't forget to leave a review on itunes we have 60 reviews on there at the moment it's fantastic we're still five stars we hit uh, the other day number 80 in the entire iTunes chart. That's not just on in, te- in technology. That is the 80th most popular podcast in the world on iTunes. That is pretty amazing. That is an amazing achievement. I'm incredibly happy and I'm very grateful to everybody who leaves us reviews and tells people about the show. So thank you to everybody. Please keep reviews coming in and emails to podcast at And Ian and I will undoubtedly be complaining about something in one week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.